you have to go give three years of litigation to a jury and they have to learn the case in five days. To be the best at your firm and in trial, you have to go all in. I am constantly in my head thinking about how can I better myself? How can I better my team? How can I serve these clients? I'm obsessed with it. So I think that there is, I'm gonna call it dedication. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. John DeGasparis partnered the law offices of Bosch and Keegan, rakes in the likes on TikTok with over 2 billion likes and over 70,000 followers. John sees social media as a tool to build a community. He spends his own money on PR and marketing for his personal brand and has found success in documenting his day for creating content. Everyone has a different style when it comes to social media. But for established attorneys with money to spend on marketing, hiring a production team can elevate your visibility and your caseload. John is an exceptional trial attorney and brings each case he takes on to life. In one slip and fall trial alone, he used 77 exhibits to convey his client's story. He shares with us his insights from years in the courtroom. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. Here's John DeGasparis, partner at the law offices of Bosch and Keegan. I think it was high school. There were two phenomenons going on. I had a U.S. politics teacher who was kind of, I think, like a liberal in his in his youth and, and just taught me to respectfully question authority. And then the next semester, I had a, an, another teacher. I started asking, can I sue for that? And it was just this thing that just became an inside joke in the classroom. So I would say it was back to high school. My mom says that's when I started to fall in love with the law anyway. Did she call you a rebel and all those types of things back in the day? No, I was like, a, I was a good kid, but I just always needed to question why something had to be the way someone said it had to work that way, you know. Got it. So I saw you started at SUNY Ulster where, and now you're a board member. And you say on your website, attendance at SUNY Ulster was life-changing and instrumental in putting you on the path to success. So I really just wanted to dive into that. You know, what was it about SUNY Ulster that really had this impact on you? Yeah, thanks for asking that question, because I think it, it is a timely topic with student loan debt forgiveness. I'm a big proponent of community colleges. I was forced to go to a community college because my dad said, I'm not paying for college because I wasn't a good student. I was an athlete and a, uh, a, a social star, if you will. I liked having a lot of friends. And so I went to SUNY Ulster. I, I was playing baseball my first semester. And it just dawned on me after the coach didn't start me in the first game that if I can't start at a community college baseball uh, game, I'm not going to be playing baseball for, as a career and I decided that I needed to learn how to study and read books. So I committed myself to that. But, you know, I was a stranger to academics, really. And SUNY Ulster had all of the resources and the teachers that I needed to really start my academic foundation. And so when I returned to my hometown, 
after college and law school, I reached out to the college to see if I could help. And now I'm a board member of the SUNY Ulster Foundation. Our work, our goal is to fund students who don't have as much financial resources and ensure that they have access to a college education. SUNY Ulster was, uh, has been recently ranked as the number one community college in New York State, which is a big deal because if I'm not mistaken, each of our 62 or 64 counties has one. So it was a big, it was a big thing for us. Fast forwarding to your current firm, you earned a partnership at a very young age. It's very uncommon to do that. The legal vertical is extremely saturated. For, so for any of those listening, what were some of the elements, some of the tips that you could give other personal injury attorneys that are trying to make partner and how you did it? I think hard work is a cop out because I have found that there are a lot of people who work hard and don't get me wrong, I worked hard, but I also adopted the law firm, its mission and objectives as my life. And I'm not saying that that is necessarily a good way to go about things or that it, you know, it, some would say that's a lot. Like I live this place. I, I live my work. It's at home with me. It's on vacation with me. And that's not to say that I don't have downtime, but I am constantly in my head thinking about how can I better myself? How can I better my team? How can I serve these clients? I'm obsessed with it. So I think that there is, I'm going to call it dedication. I was dedicated to the firm, not just through hard work, but in weekend events within the community, coming in at weird hours to get a project done, wearing the t-shirts, the branded t-shirts, not because I thought it was actually a marketing tool, but just that's what I represent. And, you know, I believe in the, in the firm's sort of level of integrity, respect. And so I think it's dedication to everything that that your law firm stands for. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. And so from what I'm hearing, you think like the execution and hard work, if you're trying to move up, that's like table stakes. Everybody around you is working hard. If you went to law school, even if you were a, a at the bottom of the class, if you got through, you worked hard, right? You learn, So it's got to be something more. The other thing I'll say is, too, is business development. You know, I had a certain innate rainmaking ability, and I do believe to some extent that is innate. Some people are good at sort of forming the ability to to rainmake, you, you know, social media, newsletters, whatever it might be. But I remember when I started with the law firm I'm with now, you know, I decided to send a postcard out to my little book of business, letting people know that, hey, I made this move. And, you know, I think a lot of other laterals didn't do that. And I used my own money. I didn't use the firm's money to do that. We also serve a, a region. We, we're not, you know, we're not nationwide. We're hardly even statewide. And so, you know, I know my region and I know how to go, go get what I need there. So I do think that the ability to bring in new money is also a huge factor. Fantastic. Fantastic. I love the, I love the proactiveness and the, the postcard and just stay in top of mind. I mean, that's, that's, that works wonders. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's attention arbitrage. Yeah. And you get, you have highs and lows too, right? Like I sent that postcard, then I did another follow-up and then the work consumed me. So there was a little bit of time where I, I wasn't uh, as forward about the marketing because I also believe, you know, I'm at a point in my career where all of my cases come from other lawyers. So you have to do the work. You have to execute and deliver for the clients and the referral sources. 
And then, you know, the work speaks for itself. So there's a little bit of, you know, you have to know the balance. So you said it was just natural, kind of, you had this rainmaking abilities. How did you come across this and who are your mentors in helping you develop? I have a mentor and he's the founding partner of this law firm. He's been a mentor to me in many respects because you have to remember, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm with a very small sort of boutique firm. And so you're a business owner, you're a trial lawyer, you're customer relations, you're human resources, you're all of it. So my mentor has taught me a lot in all respects, but him primarily with respect to the law and being a trial lawyer and also being a good member of the community. My mentor is very generous, very philanthropic, and, and I struggled to understand the importance of philanthropy. But uh, yeah, my partner's Eli Bosch. I named my son after him. I, I mean, my whole career in many respects is is based on the things that he has taught me. And also I spent a year with a, a solo practitioner who taught me a lot about passion. John has risen through the ranks as a trial attorney and won more and more cases. I want to know if it ever gets more difficult to win those trials. I often think when I'm in the courtroom, I can't believe they sent that lawyer against me. So I keep expecting that they're going to throw me the person that's going to be my Achilles tendon. And they just keep setting these. I think they're sending old timers. They're seasoned, but I don't think seasoned is is a good vibe against me in a courtroom because I try to take a more youthful approach. I try to use technology. I try to be very engaging with the jury. So when they send these old seasoned lawyers, I'm thinking, man, you picked the wrong pitcher against this left-handed hitter. You know, that's that's what I keep thinking to myself. So you mentioned tech. Is there a particular tech that you utilize that uh, to illustrate your points to tell a better story? You know, I, I got to imagine they're probably doing the, the flip charts and the drawings and you're bringing in this high tech. The hardware itself seems to be changing every time we go to court, honestly. And admittedly, we're not going to court that much anymore, which is a total disappointment, right? So if I'm trying three, three or four cases a year anymore, that's a lot. And we, every time we try a case, we're like, damn, that, that technology failed us or, or that didn't work the way that we thought. And in fact, I mean, I just tried a product liability case and in the middle of trial, my tech failed, like everything failed, the audio. So I have to now play this video of the accident and I have no audio. We're like holding microphones up to computers and you know, you have to be able to pivot without sort of losing your cool. So the hardware seems to change from trial to trial as we try to explore new things, but we definitely use, you know, I've been using graphic animations and they cost a ton of money and they're worth it because they scare the hell out of insurance companies. We use medical illustrations even on our smallest cases. If there's some way to bring a numeric factor to life, I'll do that. So I had this one client who used a pain chart and, you know, he, he just sort of made up in his head he was going to use a pain scale of one to ten in this diary that he made. So we took that and made it into a visual chart. I have a case against a medical malpractice case involving pharmaceutical drug use. And we're going to make that into a chart to show the jury sort of the dosages that were being used over time. You don't always have to spend a lot of money. We had a great result on a on a simple trip and fall with a serious injury. We used 77 exhibits in a trip and fall case. 
77. And the jury loved it. It wasn't too much. The judge was pissed, thought of 77 exhibits. And some of them related to economics. Some of them related to her medical, right? So it wasn't all just the defect in the ground. But we bring cases to life. We have to. And my paralegal is absolutely critical in our trial success. So, you know, I think I had a good trajectory. But as soon as I brought my paralegal on, who is absolutely exceptional, I haven't lost with her, you know, because as a team, we know the cases that we should try. We don't try cases that we don't believe in. Yeah, and let's talk about that. Let's break that down, just the TLDR. So talk about that case just briefly. I just kind of your thinking and maybe just an overview of it. You can't try a case that you don't believe in because the jury will see through you from get-go. We knew the client, right? As a trial lawyer, you have the advantage of knowing the client for two to three years before the case gets to trial. You know their pains. You know how important this case is to them. You know how their injuries have changed the course of their life. And now you have to go give three years of litigation to a jury and they have to learn the case in five days. So if you don't use exhibits, if you rely purely on testimony, you're going to fall short as your trial lawyer. So in that case, the woman had gone to a car show up in upstate New York at Lake George and and it was dark out and she was at the motel uh, watching the cars drive by and she tripped in this you know, essentially a pothole. She broke her shoulder. She had to have an emergency shoulder replacement. She lost her wage. She was a woman who never had much as as it was and certainly lived paycheck to paycheck. And so, and unfortunately, she did not have health insurance. So all of these extraordinary medical bills, she was shouldered with them. And we knew that we needed to ask for an extraordinary sum of money which would is often difficult to get on a basic trip and fall case because if you you know people are just like well I can't give that much money against a small motel owner to a woman who tripped in a little hole right so we knew that if we didn't show the jury how magnificent this fall was how extraordinary the injury was and the financial losses that came from it that we were going to fall short so the 77 exhibits was pictures of her life before the fall. She was, it was really interesting. It was this, I represented a woman who was a motorhead, right? And so in order to sort of illustrate her love for vehicles to the jury, we had to go get all these pictures of her working on cars and and in garages and at car shows. We had the receipt for the motel. We had the, you know, she was at a car show, so she bought a placard for the car. She entered her car in the show. We had all these things to show the jury how engaging she was with with cars. And then we had her tax records. We had uh, a certificate she got from her job for a job well done. All these things that you wouldn't necessarily correlate to a trip and fall, but we had to illustrate her life beyond just the accident. And we got a great result. We got a good verdict. Yeah, and I, I think that's it, it paints the picture. It helps to build empathy with the jury. I, I love all those components. And those are like one of the best parts is to hear the story and hear your mindset of how you're going to handle this case. And, and, that, and that's wonderful. Thank you for that. Yes, it's a lot of fun. I mean, that I think is the fun of being a trial lawyer is putting this puzzle together for this group of people that you don't know before you even meet them. So you don't know their personalities and you have to, you know, go to the courthouse with this, this person's life, this person's story and narrative all put together for these strangers. And you hope that it works out, but that's the fun of it because the rest of the stuff is kind of a grind, right? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And getting, you know, feeling their joy and kind of celebrating with them that, you know, that's got to be super rewarding. It is. Yeah. And I want to jump over. I've been talking a lot about TikTok and YouTube shorts and Instagram reels and, and really the organic reach on these social media platforms is just huge right now. And you're, and you're absolutely killing it on TikTok. So you've got, you know, a ton of followers, over 2 million likes. And we also talk about, you know, the three elements of successful practices, know the law, do it and bring in business. And let's talk about that third piece. So how does social media fit into your strategy in regards to business development? So I'm in New York State and we had a very sort of uh, strict approach to COVID. And so one day I'm sitting in my law practice, you know, I'm watching sort of the whole COVID situation unfold. And our governor basically says, if you have a business, close it and go home with an indefinite, you know, we no one knew when you were coming back. And I, I said to myself, if I come out of this thinking that the same marketing tools that we used before COVID will hold the day, we are wrong. I'm going to die on the vine. So I started making videos. The goal initially was to give my clients and the community updates about the court system through video and how the court system was being affected by COVID. My first video I put on my law firm's website and one of my partners said something about it, not negative, but just said something about it. And that then it hit me, the first video, don't ever do it again on the firm's website. So it's mine. I pay for it. I own it. It's my name. Now, that's not to say I don't ever mention the law firm, although I rarely do. It's my brand. And then no one else can say anything about it. And if they do say something about it, then I can make a decision about how I want to handle it, you know, either deal with it or walk away. But it's been a wild ride. It's not easy. It's time consuming. And I, you know, part of my success, again, is is like actually delivering on the deliverable, which is the law practice and the settlements and the, and the verdicts. It's hard. It's I find it to be expensive because I don't I at first I was trying to edit it myself and I and then I'm like, well, I'm not doing the law work. So I hired and now I have multiple people. You're juggling, you're spending a lot of money. And I believe in it for this reason. Because when I go out to buy gas or to the farmers market or to the bank, people say, Hey, I saw your video or hey, I love your videos. And even though the likes or the engagement may not be on the videos, and sometimes that's disheartening. I know it's working because when I go grab drinks with the with my buddies, they're all busting my chops for making all these videos, right? And the community sees them, and I know it. It's a branding campaign for me. I do very little paid advertising, and I'm gonna start ramping that up now because I think that that is like my shortcoming in the whole process. But for me, it's a branding campaign. I believe in the mission. My mission is to educate people about personal injury law. I rarely talk about anything else. Uh, maybe a little bit of criminal law because I do that too. But you know, I, I stay in my lane. But I stay true to what I know and who I am. Well, on the counter to that, I think the material that you put out is stronger. Right. There's more depth to it. Even watching it, I, I, I can tell that you're really an expert on these topics and it's not like moonlighting on, you know, a random trend or something. It's really focused in. And I, I wanted to kind of just break this down. And just so f- for our audience, you, you talked about a team. So, you know, what, you have an editor. What, what's the team composition look like to do this quality work? My team 
has changed over time. At first, like I hired my cousin who was very part-time and we would struggle to get one video out a day and we would do it, you know, in the 10 minutes between a deposition and, and a court conference and it was totally chaotic. And now I have a bigger team. Still, everyone is part time. I have two people that work directly for me and then I subcontract out certain work. And that's still evolving. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what works well. You know, the one the platforms are constantly changing. We're a little scattered, but we're trying to to tighten, tighten things up. I spend a lot of money on it. And I know a lot of people who do a very good job and don't spend a lot of money on it. But I want to be a lawyer. Like that's why I'm doing the social media is to succeed as a lawyer. And so if I, I feel like if I switch the two and spend too much time or too many resources or dollars on the on the social media, I will lose myself as a lawyer. And that's not what I want. I want to be a lawyer first and I want a team that supports me. And so we're, we're moving toward that goal. Yeah, and I, I think I saw a video on TikTok about you being vulnerable, stating, you know, like, hey, I just want to be a lawyer. I don't want to do HR. I don't want to do payroll. And, and you mentioned some of these things on TikTok. And I was like, that's pretty great to see because everyone talks about the, you know, the benefits and, and the job and the glory. But you're, you're kind of being vulnerable talking about what you didn't like, but what's necessary. This past week, we were talking about like, well, well who am I as a brand, right? And authenticity is one of those things. So we've been sharing some vulnerable moments. And, and you know, to all the young people out there who are thinking about going to law school or who are in law school thinking about how they want to spend their careers, I didn't know this when I came back home to work in a small town and work in a small practice, but I'm an entrepreneur. And I didn't know that until I reflected on it looking backwards. And so it can be a challenge to juggle all of these things. I don't think being a trial lawyer is for the faint of heart. And I don't think running a busy personal injury law practice with just five lawyers and you know 12 staff is for the faint of heart either. And then bring in the social media team which is my team working sort of in the home of the law practice. There's a lot of personalities to juggle. I happen to be like sort of like a type A, well, you know, and handle stress well. And I thank God for that because otherwise I'd either be six feet under or in a mental institution by now. But I think that is part of the life of being an entrepreneur is juggling, you know, a lot of things at once and handling the stress and the other thing, I just want to focus in on this question, and I don't want to beat it with a dead horse here or whatever the saying is, but you said you spent a lot of money on social media, and you mean on the production of the content, not necessarily the ads. You said, hey, maybe that's in the future. I spend tens of thousands of dollars to pay people. So I have a woman who's always sort of reaching out to people to see where can I go in the community to interact with the community or to interact with other professionals and get a recording opportunity. I went to my alma mater, Albany Law School, and I spoke in front of 30 people. So now I paid someone to make that happen. Then I paid a camera person to follow me through the day from the car ride up to the law school come back, then I paid somebody else to edit it, break that big thing down into pieces. And so yes, it's primarily production. I literally at times will walk around my community with a camera person. And you know, it takes a certain level of confidence and, and also disregard for other people's space. And you gotta like, just kind of go with it and, and, and uh, believe again in what you're doing. 
But yeah, it's a financial investment that I believe will pay off. I think it already it has. It's difficult to track. So when you're branding, it's hard to say, well, that case right there came from my marketing efforts because that had a, a tracking telephone number on it and we we can track that. It's more so I knew that person 10 years ago there's no way in hell they would know I was a lawyer now unless they saw my video, right? Or they say to you, hey, I, I've seen your videos and I saw that one and that happened to me. So I know, but I can't prove it to anybody. I think there are ways to do it more cost effectively. If I were a younger lawyer, for example, it's just as important, if not more important, for that younger lawyer who doesn't have a book of business. Maybe that individual can edit the, themselves on a phone. I, I started doing this while managing a very busy, thriving law practice. And so I had to make a decision. It's just like buying billboards or buying bus wraps or buying space in a newspaper or, or investing in a newsletter. It's just the cost of doing business. One of the things you mentioned, I just want to point out is, and I think Gary V talks about this, and I, I've even ha heard Grant Cardone talk about this too, that they go to these events to speak on stage, not necessarily for the paid gig or that. They, they do it for the long form content that they can use forever. Yes. So I'm big into, I'm into Gary V's document, Don't Create, right? And that's not for everybody. And I tend to think for me that it underperforms in comparison to when you're a talking head and like giving a piece of, of legal advice, talking directly to the camera, but I don't have time for it. And so Gary V's document, don't create styles. Perfect for me. I pay somebody to sit in on meetings with me. I always ask the clients for their permission. My clients identities are never disclosed. You don't, you rarely hear their audio. My clients love this. My clients follow me. They're like thrilled that their meeting is part of my objective. I'm a good person and I treat people with respect. And so people want to help me, uh, but I'm a document don't create guy. I don't have time to dedicate to the camera. It underperforms, but I'm trying to scale up. So if I do three a day, it's the same thing as doing one successful thing a day. And I also watch a lot of these other lawyers who, you know, talk about trends, talk about salient legal topics, talk about legal topics that are being discussed in the media. And I think to myself, I'm doing better than you, right? So you may have more likes, you may have more views or more followers, and it just depends on how you measure success. My measurement of success is having a lot of work and make a lot of money and help a lot of local people. And so I don't really wanna talk about Kim Kardashian's divorce with Kanye. I don't really wanna talk about uh, you know, the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial because that means I have to take time away from my practice or my family to go pay attention to something that means nothing to me. And so I'll take the hit on followers and views and just do my thing. Yeah. And I, I think that, and again, that it shows your expertise and it, it, the document don't create, Hey, I'm going to this conference. I'm already speaking to this law school. I might as well just repurpose it and share, you know, for distribution and leverage. I mean, right now on this podcast with the camera that you and I are using, I've got two other cameras rolling. And so one long form is going to go to somebody to be produced, right? And chopped down and we'll, we'll figure out other, we're going to have some stories up for today. I couldn't possibly do that if I didn't hire someone to do it for me. And also you got to pick people you like working with. So I pick people that 
I don't mind having in my personal space. I pick people that are are kind and and you know sort of work hard and work on their own, and so it becomes fun. And I think we sort of all work toward toward the common good. I joke that I am the common good, but the common good is to educate is to educate people and let them know that you know if, if they experience a, a horrible accident, injury, or death, that I'm the guy that that can help them. Well, and I'm sure the team behind listening that's recording right now is loving the kudos. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure they appreciate that too. Are you spending the time to engage and reply to users' comments? Is, yeah. is it part of your team? Oh, that that's all you. Uh, yeah, and that's another Gary V thing, right? So Gary V is like big on if somebody takes the time to post on your on your video, how dare you not respond to that? So between the law work, the social media, and trying to be a good dad and husband, uh, I have a threshold. There are times where I'm not as engaging as I should be, but I believe that my 70,000 plus followers on TikTok is largely due to my engagement on some of my early viral videos. Yeah, that's incredible. I was just curious about that because sometimes people get these like community managers and it's like ghostwritten your voice, but maybe they don't have the same expertise. No, but you know what I do do, and I'm even rethinking this, is when I post a video, I don't always write the the blurb underneath there, you know, and I want to get that back I because it's not my voice. And I have no idea whether or not that means anything in terms of the video's performance, but I want that back. I want to start having a voice, my voice, be the supporting sort of text that that follows these videos. And so we're working out a process for that, too. Incredible. Incredible. What's next for John DeGasparis? You know, where can people get in touch with you? I have a lot to do in terms of personal injury law. So I'm not done. I've got many years to go. I wanna get a seven figure verdict. So I have, I don't have that yet. So I gotta, I gotta go get that. Possibly politics, you know, I've, I've been thinking recently that I have maybe more to say than just my legal specialty or, or uh, you know, I think there's, I have more knowledge than that. And I also see the power of social media. And so if you have 70,000 TikTok followers and growing, maybe when it's time to run for office, you just say, go vote for me on there. And there it is. So so possibly politics. But I'm, I'm focused right now on, on running my law practice. I have two partners who are sort of in their at their point where they want to slow down and retire. So my other younger law partner and I have been sort of taking the reins and and we're in a very competitive environment and competing is fun. It's thought provoking, it forces you to innovate. I think as an entrepreneur, I still have a lot to learn and I wanna learn it. So for the next five years at least, probably 10, I'll be, I'll be running a law practice. When everything is content, you've gotta document everything. Be sure to hire a team to capture each relevant moment that can be translated into long and short form content. Because this team will be with you every moment Hire someone you actually love to be around at all times. When making or documenting content, stay in your lane and stick to what you know. I'd like to thank John DeGasparis from Botch and Keegan for sharing his story with us. I hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.